So I'm thinking very critically about how the future of work is is having impact on the people that um, uh, that, that get to work at some of these companies, as well as the people who start the companies. The future is going to be some sort of hybrid um, where you have offices, you have physical office space, um, you have people who can work remotely and maybe they spend a few days in the office, maybe they spend a few days out of the office, maybe they take whole years and go work remotely. Today's guest is Joe Blair, VC at Coda Capital in the Bay Area. He is the co-founder of Distributed Valley and also the host of the Epic Human podcast. We'll break this episode into three parts. First, impact of remote work. Next, DNI and digital transformation. Last, the epic human story and how he makes the podcast. It's great to have you on the show, Joe. Thanks for having me, Zach. I appreciate it. What drew you into the impact space with InVenture? Yeah, great question. Um, so I guess a little bit of context. Uh, so I'm from the New York area. Uh, I studied engineering as an undergrad and stayed on to do a master's uh, in engineering focused on kind of software to control complex physical systems. Uh, and then I was an engineer for a bunch of years um, with a large diversified uh, industrial conglomerate. And uh, through that experience, I started getting interested in uh, sustainability and like corporate sustainability and, and, uh, and also started to get really interested in what startups were doing. Um, and so I went and joined a venture-backed clean tech slash industrial tech startup. And, uh, and that was really my first exposure to venture capital, to a real impactful company. And, uh, and I was kind of sold on that. And then so then I went to uh, HBS, uh, Harvard Business School, uh, got an MBA there, uh, and started my own company while I was there. It was a uh, a company that was focused on the sharing economy for baby clothing, so kind of a sustainable business model for for uh, for you know helping young parents make ends meet and and get their their babies in in fun kind of delightful clothing, and uh, and that was a fantastic experience. But ultimately, I figured out that that wasn't really the the company I wanted to spend the next decade of my life uh, devoted to. So I, uh, and along the way I got exposed to venture capital. I did a, a short internship there and then I went into venture, uh, following business school. That was about seven years ago. And since then I've been doing <clears throat> venture capital here on the West coast, uh, since then. And, you know, started off at a industrial tech venture firm. They had, uh, uh, some clean tech, uh, exposure. Then I went to, uh, obvious ventures, which is, a company that invests in rural positive companies that are um, trying to combine profit and purpose, and, uh, and but have a much wider kind of uh, uh, aperture in terms of things they'll invest in. And now I'm at Coda Capital, which is a firm that's focused on investing in B2B companies um, that are trying to transform industries, um, a wide range of industries within, within the business world. And so I guess my, my definition of, of impact has kind of evolved over time. But, uh, but I, I, I'm definitely a firm believer that venture is a powerful mechanism to drive impact. Joe, I'm, I'm curious. I had a conversation in one of the previous episodes with uh, Jake Chapman. We, sp- we spoke about individuals who may have entered venture from the experience growing up. And I saw in one of your other interviews that your father was a venture capitalist. Can you tell me what that was like in terms of your experience and how, maybe how you see venture capital uniquely in a way that maybe others don't? 
Yeah, I, I think um, it, it's possible that that was a, a misquote. I think what I said oh, was that my father was a, no, no, it's okay. I, I think I know the what you're referring to. I think um, what what I mentioned in uh, I think that interview is that my father was it was and is an entrepreneur um, in the real estate space. Yes, and ha- had a lot of exposure and kind of interactions with with venture firms. Uh, not all of them positive, by the way. Oh yeah. Um, and so so I was exposed to that from an early age, but uh, I. I would say I was more exposed to entrepreneurship and, and kind of the concept of building something from nothing. Uh, my, my grandfather was an entrepreneur in the real estate space. My, my father kind of uh, continued that and, and innovated a lot kind of with ideas and, and, and projects in the early dot-com days. And so I was exposed to a lot of that at an early age. And I think, I think the benefit there for me was just just, uh, just knowing that that was an opportunity, that that was a possibility, like in in life, that you can you can actually start something from nothing. You, uh, you can start with an idea, you know, pull some other people in, and uh, and really kind of run with it and, and create something that didn't exist uh, there before. Uh, but uh, but but yeah, like I said, the whole mystique of of venture capital, especially growing up on the East Coast, like. Venture, as you know, from my purview and from my family's purview, was really more of a West Coast activity, mm-hmm. and so there was always this mystique around it of like, well, who are these VC, these mysterious VCs, and and uh, and why is it so hard to get in touch with them, and, <laughs> and and you know, how do they how do they pick people they want to work with? And so it wasn't until uh, you know I was really uh, working at a venture back startup that I started to meet some of these people for myself, and uh, and I was really intrigued by what they were doing. It sounded like they had this really interesting, fascinating lifestyle of uh, interacting with entrepreneurs, a wide range of entrepreneurs, a wide range of ideas and technologies and industries. And so I was immediately attracted to that. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, the way I grew up and my exposure to entrepreneurship had a lot to do with that. Excellent. Uh, you know, I, I have an experience myself in terms of what the private startup space feels like as more of a technical person. It seems that there is an aspect of creativity and perhaps part of the brain that's not used in something like engineering gets utilized and synthesized. Um, I wonder how you, how you feel about that experience. Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. Um, I guess I've been thinking about this a lot in the context of uh, machines and uh, and uh, there's there's a lot of discussion around what 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 jobs and what activities will machines and intelligent uh, AI generalized AI kind of take over. And I actually just re-listened to uh, Zero to One, a classic for anyone who's interested in, uh, in tech Thiel's and, and startups. Yeah, Peter Thiel's book. book. Um, and I just re-listened to it, and it was such a pleasure to because I, I hadn't listened to it in a, in a few years. But um, but I, I I tend to agree with him that I think the combination of human and machine intelligence is is kind of greater than the sum of the parts. And uh, and part of his advice is go towards uh, industries where, where it's very hard to automate, where it takes judgment, it takes synthesis of a lot of different types of information, both kind of human EQ type information as well as data and, and analysis and tying things together. And that's, I, I think venture is kind of one of the uh, prime examples of that kind of activity uh, where th- there's just such a diversity of functions that, that one has to do to get good at it in terms of you have to be good at a, evaluating people you have to be good at kind of spotting and recognizing trends uh in the industry you have to be good at understanding technology you have to be good at 
reading legal documents. Uh, you have to be good at putting deals together and understanding what different people's incentives are um, to, to get everyone aligned. And it's, it's endlessly complex, uh, but I, I personally love that complexity. I feel like I could be in this industry for the next 30, 40, 50 years and still never reach mastery, uh, which to, you know might be intimidating to a lot of people, but for me, that's, that's super inspiring and uh, exciting. So that, that's, that's how I think about the venture as a, as a function. Now, founders, you have to take note that Joe is asking for an augmented intelligence solution for him, him and his work. <laughs> yes, yes, please. <laughs> Coda, Coda Capital, uh, the core values there, face challenges, embrace diversity, act with integrity, make an impact, are, are on the website. I'd like to perhaps break that out a bit more. Also, um, some of the startups that you're supporting are Eight Sleep, Gusto, uh, OpenGov, and Fraction, who I feel have quite an impactful component. Um, your firm's also recently launched the Coda Foundation. Um, can you tell me a bit more about Coda Capital, perhaps the foundation a bit, um, and other, any other things that may be pertinent? Also, the, the check size ranges and the stages you focus on. Sure, ha- happy to share. So, uh, so I joined Ca- Coda Capital at the end of last year. Um, Coda is, is a very unique investment firm. Uh, started about five years ago, broadly to invest in B two B innovation. Uh, the the firm currently has over five hundred million in terms of assets under management. Um, and we we in, which and the unique part of what we do is we can invest. We have the flexibility to invest at any stage in, of the life cycle of a company. So we can invest at the very earliest stages, seed and series A, series B. We can invest at growth stages. We can also even invest once companies have gone public. So we have a, a kind of a public hedge fund kind of uh, functionality uh, within what we do. And the firm was started uniquely by uh, one person, uh, one of the founding MDs, Bobby Yazdani, came from the operating side as well as uh, investing in companies like Google, Salesforce, Dropbox, Uber, Gusto, and that, as well as on the other side, uh, the other founding MD named Baba Pushani came from the hedge fund world. So these two friends kind of came from different uh, different sides of the finance world, and with the idea that combining their expertise and building a firm around you know this this unique perspective. Uh, was going to be really powerful, and so far it, it seems like they, you know, they figured something out, and uh, and so, so at this stage, um, I'm focused on uh, the Series A and B there, um, and I guess just tying to some of our values in for, in terms of diversity, uh, we have diversity on the team. We also are looking for diverse founders to invest in, um, and, and diversity has a, a whole you know, a wide range of, of kind of, um, uh, columns and, or pillars to, to that. And then the Coda foundation is kind of a, a newer thing, uh, a newer uh, initiative at the firm, uh, which, you know, we're kind of in the early stages of announcing. So I'll, 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 uh, I'll save my comments on that before, until there's a, a formal announcement on, on what that's going to be about. Um, but so far, uh, it's been an absolute blast working with the folks there. Uh, and so, and so, where I focus at the Series A and B, you know, we're writing check sizes uh, up to ten million, uh, and usually leading, not always leading, uh, and looking for uh, at the Series A level, looking for companies that have like three million AR or above, uh, and focused on a B two B business model. Uh, I'm also spending a ton of time in the future of work myself. 
uh, and the future of distributing remote work specifically. That's where I've been spending some time for the past year and uh, where I think there's a ton of, of opportunities uh, at this moment. How about the impact of work as our first section? What drew you into the, into the remote workspace? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, so I guess I'll answer that in two ways. So the first way uh, was kind of like a macro view, and the second way was more uh, serendipitous. So the macro view is, is like I mentioned, my, my views of, of impact have kind of evolved, and you know I think they started out quite rigid, um, and and it, and they've evolved to a point where now I I see I see impact in companies where I think other people don't necessarily see impact. Um, we I think, probably align on some level there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I think if you just look at venture capital as an asset class, um, just like take the the actual company that you're investing in out of the equation, but. Uh, for, as an asset class, what you're doing is you're you're seeding a, an idea and an opportunity, and usually a few people. And if you're successful, that has the that has the opportunity to give to 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 hire hundreds or thousands of people. And so, I guess as I continue to think harder about that and uh, kind of macroeconomic views and and kind of what's been happening in the U.S. over time, at the end of the day, I think people's work and uh, ties very closely to their sense of self worth. Uh, to their sense of physical health, to their sense of uh, to their to their mental health. So I'm thinking very critically about how the future of work is is having impact on the people that um, uh, that that get to work at some of these companies, as well as the people who start the companies. The second way I found my way, to, I found my <laughs> my path to remote work is I was at a Silicon Valley roundtable discussion in uh, middle of nowhere, Wyoming, um, with the the governor. Uh, and we were we were kind of brainstorming on how to get more jobs and and headquarters to and people to move to Wyoming. And I was struck by just the irony of uh, of the the moment because there I was sitting in this beautiful log cabin themed mansion, snow capped peaks all around me, fire burning, and uh, and we were you know one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And we were trying to figure out how do we get people to, to want to move here. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking like, well, I would love to move here. I, like, wh- yeah. wh- how can I make that happen? And uh, and that's that's what got me thinking about like, okay, well, what a, you know, what are the barriers to remote work? I mean, we have like theoretically, we have the technology where someone could do their work, uh, not not every job, but a lot of knowledge workers could do their work remotely. But why isn't that happening yet? And so that question kind of haunted me and and excited me. So I. About a year ago, I started digging into that, and, and that's what led me down this, this path. I, I understand that maybe Kanye West is start. I think he bought something like 3,000-plus acres. I believe it's in Wyoming, perhaps in Montana, and starting sort of an educational uh, venture there where it includes both architecture, the arts, and uh, entre- entrepreneurship, to my understanding. It it sounds like these types of uh, new models where you're taking something like ranch land and converting it could be could be an opportunity space for building new communities and businesses or something. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, <clears throat> I, I love that. I love that idea. And you know, my wife's from rural Ohio, and we, we go back there every summer, and I'm um, I'm always kind of bopping around uh, the the cities in the Midwest, trying to get a sense of what's happening on the the innovation front. And I think what the trend I've seen is that every consecutive year, the entrepreneurs are getting are getting kind of wiser, smarter, more um, more the more in touch with like the Silicon Valley 
um, uh, like information set and relationships and best practices in terms of how to start companies. So I think we were already trending in that direction. And then the, the black swan of coronavirus has really pushed us fast forward, I think, at least five to 10 years yeah. in terms of this whole remote work transformation. And of course, there's a lot of uh, kind of devastation and, and challenges associated with what's happening, both from a health perspective and an economic perspective. But I think there are some silver linings, specifically on the topic of, uh, of remote work and people realizing that like, hey, there, there are a lot of interesting benefits to being able to manage my own schedule, being able to not uh, waste two hours on a commute, um, being able to spend more time with my with my family, and, and likewise, employers are realizing, hey, wow, uh, you know, we always figured that if we had everyone working from home, our, our business would grind to a halt. But we are actually making it work, uh, and they're also thinking about their uh, high priced commercial office space uh, in downtown San Francisco or New York, and saying, wow, do I really need all that all that uh, you know all that space? And do I really need to be paying that rent um, month after month when it, it may not be necessary? So, uh, so, so yeah, I think I think there's a lot of interesting um, innovations and uh, just a new mindset that's that's developing as a result of this uh, as a result of this situation we find ourselves in. From the perspective of climate change, I believe there's been some discussion about. Uh, Zoom being one of the the strongest climate tech investments, I I can't remember who first mentioned that. It's been floating floating around on Twitter a bit. I I think it's an interesting concept. If you extend that to the uh, the COVID nineteen uh, situation, we could we could also consider that there's been a positive impact from the perspective of perhaps you know um, particulates in certain areas. I I believe something like. 5,000 plus lives are associated with the decrease in uh, emissions from from diesel vehicles in Europe alone in the in the last two months or something. I, I don't re- recall the source. I I just uh, I I think it's interesting to see how sometimes these uh, these types of opportunities can um, sometimes these types of situations can can actually lead to encouraging different outcomes like uh, remote work and improving the bottom line for these companies and such. So thank you for bringing that up. Can you also tell us more about distributed valley and distributed valley and how that ties into uh, the event that you just hosted? Sure, sure. So, uh, so, so about a year ago when I had this epiphany of, of wanting to dig more into remote work, uh, I met a founder um, who was working on this, this virtual conferencing platform and, uh, and, I, I just kind of got the, the wild idea one day, like, hey, why not throw a virtual conference and, and kind of test out this software called Remo, um, there at Remo.co, if you want to check it out. And, uh, and yeah, just got along really well with this founder, and uh, he was looking to meet more uh, Bay Area venture capitalists. I was looking to meet more entrepreneurs, so we, we kind of uh, put our minds together on putting together an event, uh, and we wanted to attach a name to it, and we were really hoping to get people from all over the world to attend. And so we came up with the, the idea of uh, Distributed Valley as, as kind of a, a brand to kind of represent what we what our hope for this thing could be. And so we did this last October. It was a very small event. It was about 35, 40 people. And, uh, but even though it was a small event and even though it was like kind of unconventional, I think everyone on the, on the, uh, at the event had this aha moment of like, 
wow, we can actually we can actually connect and have a, a conference and we can have panels and we can have breakout sessions and we can have networking and we can actually connect with people who are all passionate about this theme of remote work. And it, it was such a hit. Uh, and I met so many interesting entrepreneurs and was able to kind of bring a bunch of uh, interesting VCs to the table uh, that were interested in this space that I thought, hey, I'm, I'm definitely want to do this again, maybe maybe next year, maybe next October. And then uh, and then COVID hit and I I, you know, we, we started talking, we thought, hey, now's the time to really bring this topic to the forefront again um, and maybe make it a little bit bigger. So our, our goal was, hey, let's put on another event, but this time let's try to make it a little bigger. Let's have 100 attendees this time. And, uh, and this time let's make it uh, more focused on the entrepreneurs because I think what everyone wants to know is what are the – we're all familiar with Zoom and Microsoft Teams and, and Google Hangouts, but – what are the next technologies that are coming down the pipe that are solving, you know, the whole suite of problems that we're uh, we're facing right now? We're all, you know, coming uh, coming to grips with in this crisis, and so we ended up getting twenty of the world's top uh, CEOs, founders, and thinkers together as speakers for this event, um, and uh, and promoted it. So started with an idea, and within four weeks we had the the twenty speakers lined up. And we had 450 attendees show up to this virtual event uh, at the end of it, at the end of April. Yeah, and it was it was really uh, you know a, a defining moment I think for for the community because um, that was our goal from the beginning is just kind of help move this uh, this community forward and uh, and bring people together and, and that's what we did and uh, it was a it was a great success and uh, met a lot of fascinating people. Uh, the speakers were fa- fantastic, outstanding. They were a combination of very experienced, kind of well-known speakers in the industry, uh, like the CEO of Threads, Rousseau Kazi, uh, uh, Vinay, the, the, one of the founders of Loom, uh, Andre Kusi, the founder uh, and CEO of, of Miro, uh, et cetera. And then there were also some like very early-stage founders that were, were, hey, I started this remote work company six months ago. And let me tell you about it. So there's an element of, big names and, and up and comers. And I think the, uh, and the pot, the, the, the feedback we got was enormously positive. So the going forward, the idea is to continue with these events, um, highlighting the, the next batch of, of entrepreneurs innovating in the space, as well as over time branch out into other topics. And this isn't a, this isn't really a company, uh, that we're starting. This is more of a, a movement and therefore, you know, we really want it to be, a decentralized community. So I, uh, you know, I, I've mentioned this before, but anyone who wants to start an event wants to partner with Distributed Valley. Uh, we're more than happy to 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 do that and and have that conversation, regardless of what the topic of the conference is. So uh, so open open invitation to anyone who's who's out there and wants to uh, wants to throw an event, and we're, we're more than happy to help. I'm so excited for you. It was it was a pleasure to to participate and. The, the breakout sessions were, were awesome, and I, I really loved the format where you could kind of go from floor to floor and just hop into a table discussion. It was, it was fantastic. It really did a great job. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I read a, a great Atlassian report covering the history of work, and um, I'll include that in the show notes, and how it's tied into the trends surrounding the future of work idea. Uh, I guess in the 1970s, uh, Xerox had a conference on the on the future of work. And I think this ties into remote work as well to a degree in its evolution and its potential evolution. In the 1950s, 
they started um, changing office layouts designed as factory floors, which were crammed uh, tightly together for efficiency. Um, Executives kind of enjoyed this corner office feel. And um, I guess it, the way that they stated it, it, it gave the the factory experience in corporate office spaces. How does uh, remote work tie into the future of work the way you see it? Yeah, I mean, so so first off, I think future of work is a is will will always be, I think, a uh, a venture investable theme uh, until until we have robots doing everything for us and none of us have jobs anymore. But I think we're we're a couple centuries away from that. Um, so. How does how does remote work tie into the future of work? I guess the way I'm thinking about it is is you know I think what we're seeing is that remote work has the possibility to to change people's lives, um, and and I guess the way I think about it is there's uh, there's kind of historic uh, work settings in the office environment, and then there's digital nomads, which have been around for, for the past few years, and they're pro- usually like engineers or designers that live all, all over the world and, and just kind of travel with a laptop. But I think the future is going to be some sort of hybrid um, where you have offices, you have physical office space, um, you have people who can work remotely and Maybe they spend a few days in the office. Maybe they spend a few days out of the office. Maybe they take whole years and go work remotely. Maybe there, uh, some people in the company work remotely. Some people prefer to live in a city and work, live in an office. Um, but I think if you think about it from a macro point of view, uh, does it really make sense for all, all of us to crowd into cities? Nine, nine, I think it's 80 to 90 percent of people are in like the top 20 metros uh, in, in the country. Does that really make sense when there's all this open space throughout the country? Right. Um, I think I think 100 years from now, we're going to look back at this time and say, like, what were they thinking? Like, they had, <laughs> they had the tools, they had the technology, but they, it, it took so long to make this transition. Um, and so that's sort of how I'm thinking about it. Um, and then uh, in terms of... Uh, I, I know we're going to get to this eventually, so, so now might be a good time. But I think future of work and, and future of remote work has a lot of implications for uh, sustainability in terms of cleaner environment, less commuting, being able to spread out, allocate resources more effectively, but also a, a lot of benefits uh, related to the diversity inclusion equation um, and creating more equality in our, uh, in our society. And I'm happy to dive into that if, if now is a good time for that. Yeah, it, it, it's a great time. It's, a, it's an awesome transition. I would say that maybe in a future episode we explore more of the sustainability and perhaps the social aspects that tie into the efficiencies that could go along with distributed remote work, uh, future of work. I think that could be a pretty interesting topic area if you're open to it. Absolutely. Okay, uh, let's yeah. dive into yeah. diversity and inclusion, D&I, and dis- digital transformation. Coda Capital to me, seems like the most diverse uh, venture capital firm in, in the Valley or, or in the Bay Area. I have to applaud uh, your firm for that. Um, what does diversity and inclusion mean to you personally? Yeah, absolutely. So so I'm uh, my background is, is multiracial, um, and uh, I, I, I grew up in the you know, first part of my life in the Bronx, which was very diverse, and then the second part of my childhood in Connecticut, which was not very diverse. So I've had kind of a wide range of experiences and, and kind of a unique uh, experience being multiracial and and kind of ambiguously uh, by by you know by my, my optics. Um, so I've never really fit in any particular category, uh, but I feel like 
because I'm not in any category, I'm, I'm able to empathize with a lot of different groups in in kind of a unique way. At least that's, that's what I, that, that's my uh, conclusion after however many years I've walked this earth. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think tying to empathy, like I tend to think more, I think than your average person about, uh, diversity inclusion, uh, from a VC perspective, from an entrepreneur perspective, from an employee perspective. And, I think the the key that I think not enough people are talking about is what remote work can do for reducing bias in the workplace, um, it, it, creating a more uh, e- a more equal and uh, fair uh, hiring and recruiting environment, and then uh, and then a more fair process of evaluating employees as they as they progress throughout their careers, uh, because I think. The, the office environment, the face-to-face environment, um, it enables a lot of these kind of unconscious stereotypes and biases that, that we tend to have without even knowing it. Yeah. Whereas when you're dealing with someone remotely uh, and digitally, it tends, to be, uh, it tends to be more about the value of the work. Um, and people can be judged more easily, I think, on their, their engagement, the quality of the work, and their, um, their conscientiousness. And so I think that has direct positive implications for people of, of, uh, of different genders, of different races, of the LB, LBGTQ community, yes. Uh, yes. Um, as well as, as well as like, uh, people of different ages. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, whether, whether you're younger in your career or whether you're older in your career, a, I think gray, this helps there. A gray beard such as myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, but, but beyond like, I think the, the common categories that people think about, I think it also, um, has has other advantages uh, in in different uh, different verticals. I think of diversity. So another one I think about is where you happen to grow up, right? So there's a there's a wide variation of your opportunities. I feel uh, based on where you grew up, even within the United States, right? So if you grew up on one of the coasts, you're going to have more exposure to more of these industries, um, especially like more of the the uh, the faster moving industries like like finance and um, and tech, and uh, and in the middle of the country, you, you don't have as much of that. Um, and then if you if you kind of zoom out, it's even more pronounced in the global setting, right? The opportunity you have growing up in another country uh, can be far less than if you happen to grow up in in the United States. Uh, and you know, from an employer's perspective, if I have the capability of hiring people that are outside the 30 mile radius around where I happen to be living. Um, that basically opens up the uh, recruitment pool to the 99.9% of other people that are, that I could be hiring. And if you think about if you think about it, it's, you know, if you're trying to hire the best people for the job, you want an exposure to as wide a range of candidates as possible. Yes. Optionality um, back in, ven- in venture is critical. Yeah. Not to mention uh, the, you know, it's potentially even you can get high quality work for, you know, a, potentially a lower, a lower cost if you're hiring people that work in a lower cost area. And there are also things like, you know, that, that people have biases around, uh, you know, what schools people went to. Uh, another one that's interesting is, is uh, work style, right? So I, I've, there's some, some good reports out there that uh, people are extroverted or pe- people who are more confident in kind of speaking their mind. Uh, have the ability to progress faster in their careers where introverts are people who are less likely to kind of uh, speak up or to stir the pot in the the workplace 
Um, sometimes their career progresses more slowly. And I think when you're, when you're, you have the capability as an introvert to participate, uh, to, uh, to communicate, uh, digitally, I think that helps bring some of those people out of the shadows and helps them progress in their career at a faster pace. Um, so it's, it's really a multidimensional equation that I think remote work, if done right with the right tools and the right culture and the right best practices has a potential to, to level the playing field. I remember taking the Myers-Briggs, I, I, I think I'm ENFJ, and I remember doing that at a startup I worked at, and I found that to be quite useful in terms of understanding the mindset of different individuals within the organization. I wonder how that could be applied in a hiring sense like you mentioned. Sounds like a sounds like a startup opportunity. <laughs> okay, again, founders, if anybody's listening. <laughs> okay, so uh, what is digital transformation, by the way, I, to you? What is what does this mean? Yeah, I, I think uh, you know if we think about <clears throat> uh, future of work being a superset of remote work, I think digital transformation is a superset of future of work, uh, and I, I think digital transformation has been thrown around. Um, probably too much because it can mean anything to any person. But I think it, it just broadly means uh, the application of technology to a lot of old, longstanding problems. Uh, and the, the other way I think about it is uh, is the unbundling of large established companies. Uh, so, so large established uh, multifaceted companies that have a whole host of, of, uh, of business models that have been around for a while and have been incumbents who have dominated markets, I think the, with the advent of technology and, and venture capitalism as a, as a as fueling mechanism, I think what you're starting to see is that is uh, early stage technology companies unbundling different aspects of these large companies and applying technology and digital transformation to create new businesses around these subcategories. And I think this is a trend we're going to see basically in perpetuity. It's like a, it's like a never ending yeah. cycle of companies growing big and then other smaller companies disrupting them. And so that's broadly the way I think about digital transformation. It sounds a lot like the moving target that I call sustainability. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, it's all moving targets. <laughs> HBR put out a report that 70% of digital transformation in initiatives last year, 2019, did not reach their goal. So there was roughly $1.3 trillion spent last year, of which $900 billion went to waste. Uh, one thing that stood out to me in terms of how we may break this part now or in a few future episode is digital transformation on the consumer side versus the internal side. One company that I'm invested in is Balloon, and they have a platform for bias reduction via anonymous ideation at, at large uh, tech organizations. I guess what I want to ask is how does um, diversity and inclusion tie into digital trans transformation within the opportunity space you see? Yeah, I think, uh, I think Balloon's a great example of this. Um, I think it's it's giving a voice to the people that uh, that are that are maybe at a larger company that don't have a voice uh, previously. So Balloon's a good example of that. There are, there are a whole host of other uh, good examples uh, at the actually at the Remote Startup Expo. Uh, Rousseau Kazi of Threads and I had a conversation on this exact topic, and uh, people oh, can check that, that out on uh, yeah, people can check that out on YouTube. But but we talked specifically about how Threads is is addressing this this exact issue. 
Um, and so uh, I think I, th- I think you know going back to the HBR article and thinking about okay, well, why why is all this capital being wasted? I think this goes back to just the vulnerability of large companies um, because they can spend tons of money on trying to transform a lot of their old processes to new processes, uh, but and and a lot of that. Uh, gets wasted because it's it's hard it's hard to do that but i think the opportunity that that represents is for early stage startups that can uh can use capital more efficiently can start companies with the right infrastructure and technology sets in place from the beginning to to really disrupt those larger companies yeah founders again if anyone's listening a 900 billion dollar tam yeah What are some upcoming areas of positive impact in digital transformation to push you further? Sure, sure. I, I guess one other area that uh, that I'm I'm looking at, and we we kind of alluded to it earlier, was just the the applications of uh, tech of digital technologies in the physical world. So I think this ties to intelligent machines, um, you know, interacting with uh, consumers and businesses in in our everyday lives and our everyday business opportunity, uh, our, our everyday business activities, um, that will kind of help uh, create new businesses and new industries. Uh, so that's an area I have a little bit of experience in. I invested in a, a company that's uh, in the uh, construction robotic space uh, called Canvas. And what they do is they take a dull, dirty, dangerous work uh, of, of, uh, of the construction industry and make it more sustainable. Uh, they make it higher paying. Uh, and they make the whole construction process uh, more uh, more cost effective and faster uh, for, for for building developers. And so th- this is a this is a prime example of uh, you know tying back to uh, digital transformation in unexpected industries. Uh, construction is one of the least digitized industries in the world, and uh, and so I think what you're going to see is is these digital this digital transformation uh, happening in a lot of these large, uh, conservative industries that have traditionally relied on purely on, on human labor and uh, labor arbitrage. Exciting. Okay, let's break into section three, the epic human story. I'm excited to talk about this section. Uh, you were super helpful. Someone, inter- our friend Jeff Cruzy introduced us, great person, and you gave me some feedback right when I got started on this podcast, which has helped me tremendously, and that was um, help the guests shine, you know, really make the, the guests feel comfortable um, to give them an opportunity to be their best self. And I appreciate that, that you gave me that opportunity. My pleasure. My pleasure. Glad, glad something I said stuck with someone. <laughs> Definitely. And I really enjoy your podcast. Uh, can you tell me what, how many episodes so far have you published? Oh, man. Um, I, I think I've published a, uh, about 20 so far. Great um, work. And so, yeah, it's, it's not a, you know, it, it's a, it's a podcast that's been, I've been developing it for the past two years. It's definitely a, a side hustle, but it's my, it's my passion project. Um, and yeah, I guess getting back to my advice to you was, uh, you know, I don't, when, when, when I start, first started the podcast, I knew it wasn't going to be something where I just get on, uh, on the air and just start pontificating my, my own ideas. What I wanted to do was highlight other people and, and the, you know, the brilliant, amazing people I, I meet on a daily basis. I mean, we're so lucky to be in, in this in in this tech world and in this community to be able to meet innovators and people taking on hard problems and so my mindset from the beginning was 
find fascinating people, put them on air, ask them some questions, and and just let their brilliance shine through. So that that that's the uh, the origin of my my advice to you. But yeah, just a little bit more about the podcast. Um, since you asked about it, the, the genesis was really um, a conversation I had with my uh, grandmother uh, over ten years ago at this point, where. Uh, she was a woman who grew up in, in rural Jamaica, um, had a very challenging childhood, uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, all different sorts, uh, very poor, lived in a, in a, a two-room house with a dirt floor and a tin roof, uh, often didn't have things to eat, didn't have clothes to wear, etc. And eventually she, she, found, she met my grandfather. They found their way to the United States in the 50s and, uh, and realized a, a, a version of the American dream. And so... Uh, 10 years ago, I went down to visit her, uh, with, with my wife, Tava and, uh, got a lot of one-on-one time with her because uh, my wife had a, had a, a work event, uh, in down in Florida and, uh, she was always in precarious health, but I just had this feeling like, oh no, this might be the last time I, I get to see her. And so, and so, uh, you know, I just had three days with her. And I just said, okay, I want to hear all the stories. I want to hear all the stories from Jamaica, from, from New York in the 50s. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I turned on my phone and I, I recorded it all. And, uh, and you know, I, I'm a little bit ashamed to say that I, I did it without her, her, her asking her permission. Oh, no. uh, and, yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty open about this. But, uh, but the reason was because she was, a, she was kind of a shy person. And I knew if I told her I was recording it, she would never tell me any stories. <laughs> but, but I also knew at the same time that if I didn't capture those stories, uh, the stories and her voice would be lost forever. And to me, I just couldn't, I just couldn't abide by that. So, uh, so I recorded all those stories. Um, and lo and behold, a few years later, she passed. It was the last time I got to really spend time with her. And at her funeral, we had those stories playing kind of on a loop, like the entire, uh, the entire time we were there celebrating her life. And, uh, and it was just such a cathartic experience for our family to hear her voice, hear the stories. And, uh, that got me thinking very critically about, uh, you know, all the unsung heroes kind of all around us and the, the epic people that we don't hear their stories because they're, they're not famous and they're not rich and they're not, uh, being interviewed. Uh, and so, that was the inspiration for starting the Epic Human Podcast, for highlighting objectively fascinating people, people who are risk takers, uh, people who have fantastic stories, and uh, and giving them a platform to shine. Thank you for sharing that, Joe. I, I definitely feel that your grandmother would have been very proud of you, and if it's if it's at all worthy, I would say that you're a hero, <laughs> and I thank you for, for sharing that. Um, so this hero idea, the hero's journey, um, I guess it stems back to Joseph Campbell with the monomyth, and it's a quest uh, that passes through the unfamiliar. There's a TED Talk I'm going to include in the show notes, which helped me get a background on this, because I, I know in your podcast you had mentioned this. I guess there's these cycles, this uh, um, multiple cycles that, that involve the assistance, departure, um, the, the, act, the adventure, then the trial, the struggle, this approach of the biggest fear, the crisis where one faces death, then the treasure, which is the reconciliation, the recognition of the individual's power, then a return to this ordinary world and a, re- 
a resolution where the cycle and the circle just kind of continues in a, in a positively constructive manner. I think what I'd like to ask is uh, what aspect of the hero's journey have you found most interesting in the interviews you've guided? Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question. Um, and I think the answer for me is you know, if you think about that circle where you start you start uh, on Earth and then you, you dive into the underworld and then you eventually come back. To me, the most interesting uh, aspect of that journey is that decision uh, to leap from above world, you know, on Earth down to the underworld, and uh, and that's a representation for taking the big leap, taking the big risk in one's life, and so. In my in my podcast, I I, I often um, try to try to zoom in on that moment for whether it's an entrepreneur or a venture investor or a a, a powerful thinker. Uh, usually, all my the one thing my guests have in common is that they uh, are willing to take risks that I think other people aren't, and we're lucky in that we live in a society where we can we can play it safe if we want to, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially if, you know, if we, we grow up and we have access to public education and, uh, and we're able to get some sort of a, a, a lifestyle where we can uh, sustain ourselves. I mean, we, we, we're lucky we live in this society in this, in this day and age. Um, but what's interesting to me are the people that basically put aside that, um, that comfortable life and they, they take a leap towards a risk where there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, the, the downside is definitely there. And they do it anyway. And they purposely put themselves in uncomfortable situations. And it doesn't always work out. Um, but if in the cases where it does work out, it can be really exciting and people can do amazing things. And so I've always really been intrigued by that aspect of the hero's journey um, and, uh, and inspired by it. And so that's that's what I what I tend to focus on um, with my guests on, on the podcast. Can you give us a few examples of stories that inspired you specifically? Sure. I mean, the, I mean, the one that uh, comes to mind uh, that, that we, we alluded to is was my grandmother making the jump to uh, the United States in the 50s. Um, I guess a few a few others uh, in terms of my, my former podcast guests. Um, I've got I've got one coming out. Uh, shortly with a, a VC investor um, that started his career by uh, unconventionally by right out of college starting a nonprofit uh, to help kids with AIDS right and so wow. here's, here's a guy coming out of a great school with great education all sorts of opportunities and he decided to devote his life to at that moment to a uh, to a, a nonprofit mission um, other people I've interviewed uh, you know I interviewed Chris Anderson who's uh, was the is is the founder and CEO of, of 3D Robotics, and and he had a very varied career. He started out uh, early in his life where uh, he was kind of a, a kid who didn't do well in school, was very rebellious. Uh, eventually, found his way to becoming the editor of Wired magazine, and then that wasn't enough reaching success. And there, he took another leap and jumped into the drone industry. At one point, he had the the world's largest drone company. Um, and and now he's now he's now he's innovating in in uh, the construction industry. So, I think you know the story of entrepreneurship is really a story of risk taking. Um, and so I, I think I think that is what really gets me excited about the people I interview on the podcast, as well as what I get to do every day as a, as a venture investor. Joe, 
you've leveled up so much of us in this call and I just know people are going to enjoy this both from the perspective of humanity and just excitement about what they're doing. So thank you so much for sharing this. Is there anything else you'd like to add to listeners um, to, to help them connect with you, your show, and how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so the, the easiest way to get in touch is uh, you can you can uh, follow me on LinkedIn. Easy to find Joe Blair. You could also follow me on, on Twitter. I'm just at Joe Blair VC. Uh, if you're interested in the podcast, uh, I'm at uh, Epic Human Pod on Twitter, at Epic Human Podcast on Instagram. You can check out our, the, the new website, uh, which is epichumanpod.com. And, uh, and, and yeah, like I said, if you're interested in throwing a, a virtual event uh, in partnership with Distributed Valley, reach out. I'm, I'm very open and, and willing to, uh, to collaborate with others. I, I think, you know, where, where I come from is a, is a position of I want to I pay it forward because every time I've paid it forward in life, it's, it's come back to me tenfold. And so that would be, I think, the parting message I would leave with other people would be pay it forward, give, and you're going to get 10 times as much in return.